the climate has changed, of course, over long time periods, but there, no one questions that. Um, but in recent history, it's changed at a rate that's never happened before. So when you add a few inches to what the highest tides are, now it starts to flood things pretty frequently in the fall. Um, so that's something that we're going to keep seeing, and that's just going to get worse and worse. There's no way around that. The world around us is changing, from heat waves to record-setting hurricane seasons, and we are caught in the middle of it all. Hello, I'm Phil Farrow, Chief Meteorologist at WSBN-TV in South Florida, and this is Weather or Not. A bit of gloom and doom to start the podcast, but I wanted to drive home the message that our climate is in flux. For example, it was always known that Florida was the lightning capital of the world, but now research shows we've dropped from the top spot. Meteorologist Vivian Gonzalez sheds light on this story. Well, it kind of has light already. Plus, this is the first week of summer. We have seen higher and higher temps for us in South Florida over the last few years. We'll chat with Brian McNoldy, Senior Research Associate at the University of Miami Rosenstiel School of Marine and Atmospheric Science, who will give us a bit of insight on what we can expect over the next few months and look at the bigger picture of climate change. I want to remind you that you can always listen to us on Google, Apple, and Spotify with a new issue every Tuesday. But we start with our favorite segment. Seven questions. Brian, welcome to Seven Questions. Uh, let's start with the easiest first. One. W what is summer? Well, uh, there's there's actually two ways that we can really define summer. One is the uh, kind of an astronomical way, where that usually starts like June twentieth or twenty first or so at the summer solstice and then lasts for three months until the uh, autumnal equinox. Um, the other way we define summer, especially us in this field, is really just a uh, June, July, and August. Um, and so the, we, we tend to think of that as summer. And it's, it's basically no matter where you live, it's going to be the warmest time of year in general. Um, if you use the um, the summer solstice through the autumnal equinox, it actually is not necessarily the warmest time of year because you can start getting hot days well before that. But that's that's more in sync with the sun that way. Two. What, what can we expect for us here this summer season? Well, so far, um, we have not seen anything too out of the ordinary. Um, I don't think there's a huge reason sticking out to expect anything out of the ordinary. I mean, we're going to be, of course, be hot, humid with a lot of rain, but that's normal. So right, right. Um, I don't see any reason to expect that we'd be, um, as of now, not record-breaking heat. Like we saw actually the three hottest years on record were all recent. Um, and I don't think 2021 is going to mix it in with that crowd. Uh, it would take a lot at this point to do it since we're already halfway into the year and uh, we're not that that far into the race. So, Three. Brian, what, what's, what's the biggest difference between uh, summers this century as to those opposed from the 20th century? Is there anything glaring that sticks out at you? 
Uh, is your question, is, is the typical summer conditions now different than they were, say, 20 plus years ago? Yeah. Um, yes. There, I, I have looked into that a bit. And um, without a doubt, we have warmed. Um, so our, our nighttime lows are warmer than they used to be. That's actually more of a change. Um, the daytime highs are slightly warmer, uh, but yeah, like I said, most, most of the, the warming has actually occurred in the lows. Um, and with that, with a warmer atmosphere, it can also hold more moisture. So it's been getting more humid to go along with it. So the combined, what we would call the, the heat index, um, that's also increased over this, you know, the past 20 plus years. So you know, we're seeing it all, all around. Um, there's not a huge trend, at least yet, in terms of the rainfall, though. Four. Do hotter summers mean hotter winters, or, or does Mother Nature try to overcompensate and make for colder, stormier winters? That's a great question. Um, and unfortunately, I guess for us, is um, nature's not too concerned about coming out to a nice uh to, to to maintaining the the nice mean that, that we were used to so while the, the summers are getting warmer the winters are getting warmer also five let me touch roughly on on climate change and and how that is impacting south florida for example well, when i was a young strapping lad growing up in hialeah in the 70s king, king tides were, were were milder or at least non-existent i never knew about them uh you know, now we see these huge king tides. What other issues might we see in the future for us locally? Ah, yeah. So certainly, you know, as you pointed out, since the 1970s, the, the, the tide levels have definitely increased. Um, sea level has risen five or six inches uh, just in the last 25 years. Wow. So um, what, I mean, we, we've always had king tides. Is all that refers to is the highest tides of the year. So even if they didn't flood anything, they'd still be called king tides. Right. Uh, it just so happens that we're pretty low lying around here. So when you add a few inches to what the highest tides are, now it starts to flood things pretty frequently in the fall. Um, so that's something that we're going to keep seeing, and that's just going to get worse and worse. There's no way around that. Six. Can anything be done to curb the effects of climate change? On the big picture, yes. Um, in terms, of, and by big picture, I mean thinking that decades out and the world needs to be in on it. Um, something like the, the, the Paris Climate Agreement, for example, is one of those things that can really make a dent. Um, if all the countries do their best, at least, to meet the goals. It's possible that we won't all reach our goals, but that's the way life goes. Um, <laughs> but at least to make the effort. Um, it's, it's hard to see anything local, you know, like let's say the rest of the world goes about doing its thing and us down here in Southeast Florida, we're really concerned about the increasing high tides. So, you know, we, we want that to slow down. And so we're, we're gonna do ours, our part to make that stop. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Um, we're, we're all part of a much larger thing and um, 
the, the earth as a whole has to be fixed. Well, I shouldn't say fixed necessarily, but we, we need to, to stop uh, doing as much harm as we are doing. Um, it, it, the climate has changed, of course, over long time periods, so there, no one questions that. Um, but in recent history, it's changed at a rate that's never happened before. But yeah, we're gonna keep seeing these things happen in, in our lifetimes and the next few lifetimes. Um, but we have to look at the really longer scale picture and try to stop you know, the, the, the rate at which things are changing. Seven. You know, when, when we see those maps about uh, South Florida getting flooded in within 50 to 100 years, how, how accurate are those projections? Well, boy, if I had that answer, I'd be rich. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a range of them. There's a lot of, I guess, curves, you'd call them, uh, that go out to, let's say, the year 2100 of how much sea level rise are we going to see. Uh, there are some that are quite aggressive and have many feet of sea level rise by then, and some that are much less aggressive. The best we can do is use what we have in recent history um, and see what type of curve fits that the best, try to extrapolate that, and also expecting that things are going to happen quicker than they were before. So if you just extrapolated our own recent history, you're gonna fall short. So you have to go at least quicker than what we've observed. The reason there's such a wide range of options when you look at those sea level curves is there's a lot of unknowns in the world. Like I referred to before, something like the, the Paris Climate Agreement. That's just one example of something that if the world tries to adhere to those goals versus if they don't, that's the difference between a low and a high end of, of those curves practically. Right. Um, so, but there's no control over that. You know, there's no way of being able to say this curve is right because we have no idea what's going to happen in, in the world. Uh, that concludes our seven questions, but I'm going to call an audible here because uh, there's one more thing that I need to ask, and that concerns tropics. Last year was a record-setting storm season, and we know that hotter water temperatures can fuel tropical systems. Are the conditions present again this year for more activity? Uh, the conditions look right for a slightly above average season. Um, there's not any indication that it's going to be anything like what 2020 was, which was really two hurricane seasons packed into one. We look at yeah. the number of storms, number of hurricanes, all that. It was basically two seasons in one. So um, we may not see that again for a very, very long time, I hope. <laughs> um, so no, I, I, I don't think 2021 is going to be anything like 2020 was. Um, but, you know, one thing I always have to add on to that is even in an inactive season, we can still get one or two hurricanes here. And then that's a pretty big deal. So, Correct. It, you know, it, it all depends on where you live and what hits you. We all have to be prepared. Brian, yeah. thank you. Thank you so, so much. Again, I'm a huge fan. And thank you thank for. You, Phil. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for taking part in our uh, in our podcast here, whether or not. Thank you so so much. My pleasure, Bill. Take care. A record storm season during a pandemic made 2020 unforgettable.
This year, count on the Seven Weather Team once again to do what we do best, keep you safe. The latest alerts, the best coverage. That's why we're the Storm Station, Seven News. Florida summers are hot and humid with typical afternoon thunderstorms, which have plenty of lightning. So much so that our unofficial state motto behind the Sunshine State, of course, was the lightning capital of the U.S. But that has now changed. Who is in the top spot now? Meteorologist Vivian Gonzalez finds out. Florida has been known for all sorts of wild weather, from hurricanes, thunderstorms, and sometimes rain and sunshine all at the same time. But one thing Florida has been known for is all of its lightning strikes that we've actually been known as the nation's lightning capital. But over the last five years, it appears that that's no longer the case. And here to explain why, we bring in Chris Vigaski, meteorologist and lightning applications manager with Faisla. So I'm surprised by this new finding because being born and raised in Miami, I've always known Florida to hold the top spot. So can you tell me how are lightning strikes and flashes calculated? Yeah, so the National Lightning Detection Network is a network of about 120 lightning location sensors evenly spaced around the United States that are listening for the radio waves that lightning produces 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And when lightning occurs anywhere in the United States, whether it's in cloud or cloud to ground, those sensors are picking up those radio signals and are then being used to locate where the lightning occurred. And then we count how much uh, lightning signals that we uh, detect every year. And now which state is on top? If you look at the, the five-year average, so between uh, 2016 and 2020, Oklahoma is just slightly ahead of Florida now, and that's for total lightning. Um, so the combination of in-cloud and cloud-to-ground lightning. But it's, it's very, very close. It's you know, 83.4 to 82.8 uh, events per square kilometer. So the numbers are extremely close. Yeah, they're head to head. So tell us which factors contribute to, contribute to lowering that statewide average. Uh, when you think about it, not every location is going to have the same amount of lightning everywhere. So if you think of Oklahoma, um, you know, the Oklahoma Panhandle has less lightning. It's a drier location. They don't get as many thunderstorms, whereas the central and southeastern parts of Oklahoma, they have more lightning uh, because you have more thunderstorms. It's just where thunderstorms tend to develop. In Florida, you know, you have the same, some of the same things happening. You have a lot of lightning occurring in uh, what's been traditionally known as Lightning Alley along I-4 um, and, and things like that, uh, where the sea breezes from the west and the east collide and you get the, the thunderstorms every day in the afternoon uh, in the, the summer months. Um, but there are some locations where the sea breeze pushes in further. Um, so along the immediate Gulf Coast uh, in the Florida Panhandle, for instance, the sea breeze pushes in a little bit further and you have actually a little bit less lightning along the immediate Gulf Coast there, um, Panama City uh, and places like that. So it, it really has to do with where the focuses come together for uh, thunderstorm development. And why are county averages in Florida higher? 
uh, there are some some locations where you know the the averages are extremely high. So you know, Orange County and and Seminole County and the Central Florida there, Orlando, uh, those are the two highest lightning counts in the country. Um, they get about 160 events per square kilometer per year, uh, and that's where you get a lot of that sea breeze focus to to create those thunderstorms every day. Um, but uh, you get some locations, as I, as I mentioned, where sea breeze pushes through a little bit further. It has less lightning. You have some locations with more lightning. Miami area actually has even a little bit uh, less lightning immediately along the coast and more inland. So um, it, it really has to do with just exactly where all of the ingredients come together for the storm production. And just for fun, I wanted to ask you a couple questions because obviously not now during the pandemic, but when we've had the opportunity to go to schools, speak to children, they're always so eager to listen to the scientists and ask some really interesting questions. So to our Seven Weather podcast listeners, I wanted to ask you, which is the lightning capital of the world? Yeah, so... When we've looked at it now, looking at the global data, so we have a global lightning detection network that acts the same way as the National Lightning Detection Network here in the United States. Uh, Singapore uh, is actually now the uh, global lightning capital. For the the entire country there, they have over 120 uh, lightning events per square kilometer. So um, it's a little bit smaller than, or a little bit less lightning than, you know, over the heart of central Florida, but on a country by country basis, they, they lead the way. Fact or myth, can lightning strike twice in the same place? Yes, uh, it, it is a fact. Uh, a lot of people like to talk about the Empire State Building being struck, you know, a number of times, 20 to 30 times per year. Uh, but even if you just look outside and you see lightning flickering, that flickering process is multiple lightning events coming down the same lightning channel and they tend to hit at about the same location. So it does strike at the same place more than once very frequently. And where does lightning strike the least? Well, uh, Antarctica is very, (laughs) very cold, very dry there. Not much lightning uh, there. Some other places where you don't see a lot of lightning one of them might uh, kind of surprise you, and that's the country of Chile. Uh, the Atacama Desert there is very, very dry. Um, they see a very small amount of lightning every year as well. And is lightning hotter than the sun? Yes. Yeah, so uh, when lightning occurs, it heats up the atmosphere right around it to hotter than the surface of the sun. It gets up to about 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit, so extremely, extremely hot. Okay. And now South Florida is getting into a busy time of daily afternoon showers and storms. Can you give our viewers some lightning safety tips? Yes. The first and foremost is when thunder roars go indoors. That's what the the lightning Mm -hmm. safety community has been using for about 20 years now. Uh, When lightning is around, you don't want to be any place outdoors. There's no place outside that's safe during a thunderstorm. Um, So get inside, get inside a substantial building. And when we say substantial building, we mean something that has electrical and plumbing in the walls. So, you know, a house, a school, a a store, mall, uh, something like that. If you don't have something like that nearby, a metal topped vehicle, get inside that 
uh, that car don't get into a convertible or something like that it has to have that metal top over it because the metal of the the car will help the electricity from the lightning go around you and then into the ground okay thank you so much for joining us on this special edition of the seven weather podcast thanks chris yes thank you if you have a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast or have a comment, please send me an email at pfarrow at wsvn.com. Also, it would be really nice if you would subscribe to our Weather or Not podcast. You can always follow us on Twitter and Facebook at 7Weather and, of course, live on air at WSVN7. Coming up next week, the science behind junk food and why we can't stop eating them. Yeah, so I don't think the cravings are bad. I feel like it's our body's way of like telling us what we want and sometimes what we need. That's next week. Thanks for joining us. Please tell your friends about our podcast. We need all the listeners we can get. The next issue of Whether or Not drops June 29th. Until then, I'm Chief Meteorologist Phil Farrell.